The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all. But then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. Hey guys, it's Gobby and welcome to What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. We got a little bit of a facelift. If you're new here, I'm Gobby. I'm the founder of What's Gobby Cooking, a best-selling author and now a podcast host. What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild, which is the latest version of my podcast, is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry and more. I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people and highlighting super cool small companies from the food world. So let's get right into it. This is What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. All right, guys. Happy Monday. I have a very special guest here to tackle a very in-depth topic. I'm back, guys. Thomas is here, and we're about to get into it. We had a very exciting week last week, though. We started demoing our house. (laughs) The whole thing. Yep. We're living in a construction zone. We're recording this late at night because during the day, it is a full madhouse. It's a little chaos. Chaotic. Yeah. Yeah, it's chaotic, and I'm not allowed to leave half of the house because, surprise, I'm pregnant. Oh, yeah, that happened last week, too. (laughs) And I don't want to be around anyone else because hashtag COVID. Um, Anyways, today we are not getting into pregnancy. We actually published a video on IGTV, on the blog, on YouTube uh, about our whole journey. If you want to go hear about that, maybe we'll do a podcast about it in the future. But today, after I got a very snarky email a couple weeks ago from someone who was absolutely appalled that I did a sponsored Insta story for something that was not food related. She reads all of her emails, by the way. What do you mean? Like you read, you actually do read oh, all of your I, emails. You're talking about me. You, yes. Yeah. Oh no, I read, there's nobody responding no to those comment for me. And no email left unread. No, I read them all and I am very confrontational when I feel the need to be. So this woman sent me a message and was just absolutely appalled that I did this sponsored Instagram story. And it got me thinking. It actually gave my dad a really great idea to do a couple podcasts about like the inner workings of what's got to be cooking. The so, business side of what's got to be cooking. Business side, the side you don't see every day. So I brought in Thomas because while he has only been a full time like paid employee for the past 16 months, he's really been a part of what's got to be cooking from like inception, basically. I'm also moderator extraordinaire from all of my experience on the Instagram lives. Yes, you are. That is not a lie. Oh my God, look at Stella. She's just chilling next to us. She loves the quiet. So anyways, we are going to do this in two parts. This week, we're going to talk about the good old the good old days, the olden days of what's Scobby cooking, how we got started, all that kind of stuff. I crowdsourced a bajillion questions from you guys that Thomas is about to ask me. And honestly, nothing's off limits. Like I'm an open book. So let's talk about it. And then in next week episode, next week's episode, we will get into 
modern day what Scobby cooking and what it's become and all that kind of stuff. So I'll turn it over to you, babe. How did you get into the world of food? <laughs> really? Like, and why food? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, if we're going to go that far back, I think it was college. Like, I loved cooking for my team. I loved cooking for people. I played on the women's tennis team. Thomas was on the men's tennis team. And I would cook for us. I would make like these carb load dinners before matches. And having people gather around the table gave me such immense joy. And having people be like, oh my God, this is the best chicken parmesan I've ever had made me so happy. So I loved it. So why didn't you pursue food back then? I didn't even know it was an option. I didn't like, I didn't think it was an option. Like I didn't, I didn't want to be a restaurant chef. I knew that. Um, they stay up far too late for me and drink too much alcohol and do drugs, which we've all seen me on anesthesia. It's not a <laughs> drugs are not my thing. I didn't know really. I honestly didn't know it was an option until I got down here to Los Angeles. When you did realize food was an option, what were you doing at the time? And let's backpedal a bit. In college and after college, you took a traditional nine to five job. Yes. What was that and how did that transition then into the world of food? So I graduated in 2008 and got a job down here in Los Angeles. I was living in the Bay Area, moved down to LA and was working for this like fashion marketing PR company, startup style, nine to five. It was like nine to six thirty some days actually. And I took lunch at my desk, so I never got a break. Honestly, it sucked. I hated it. It was like only four or five of us. I did not really care for the the ethos of the company. Like my bosses weren't really making an environment that I could thrive in. But this is also 2008. So it was like at the peak of, you know, the last recession. Yes. Like things were about to go in the shitter and the company did. And we all lost our jobs, which honestly couldn't have been a better blessing for me. Um, And I decided rather than going to get another job, I was going to go to culinary school. What prompted that idea to go to culinary school and learn how to cook? I think I was obsessed with the Food Network at the time. And you just said... Oh my God, no, I wanted to be on Food Network Star. Next Food Network Star, remember? Yeah. I was a diehard of Next Food Network Star and I really wanted to land a role on there. Like I wanted them to cast me and I had applied and applied and got denied and denied. And I was like, God, what the fuck? Um, And so I was like, okay, well, maybe if I go to culinary school, I'll have some more chops that they can like... They never, spoiler alert, they never asked me to be on. <laughs> you applied like five times. Yeah, I went to open casting calls. I like got my hair done. I was in it to win it. I was like, that's that's why I got into food. I wanted to be on Food Network. Would you be on next Food Network star right now? Absolutely not. You couldn't pay me enough money to be on. <laughs> I Also, they wouldn't want me. Yeah. Because I perform so well under pressure, I would make terrible TV. Yeah, you wouldn't be entertaining. No, I'd be like, Step aside, everyone. I've got this. So next Food it's Network Star. trained me well. <laughs> next Food Network Star is what inspired you to go to culinary school. That, and I was obsessed with reading Ree's website. Like Ree at the time, Pioneer, Pioneer Woman, um, who's now a dear friend, had started a blog before me. And I was obsessed with her website. Like I read everything. I made all of her recipes. I wrote, read her love story. And I just like loved her storytelling. And I think that, that's why I started the blog and food was just a part of that. So I went to, I, the, I got laid off, uh, the whole company folded and I went to culinary school. I had asked my grandpa for a loan and he was just like, I'll pay for your culinary school. If you come and cook for me once a year, when you come out to visit. And I was like, 
You got it, Gramps. How did you pay the bills while going to culinary school? Yeah, so in the middle of a recession. So culinary school depends on where you go, but I went to a program that was once a week, six hours a day or six hours a night. So my program was from 5 p.m. till 11 p.m. Mondays. And the rest of the week, you had homework that you had to bring in and stuff like that, but you didn't have to be physically at school. So I interviewed to be a nanny for this family in Malibu at the same time because I was a nanny all through college, like after tennis practice and all that kind of stuff. And I made a decent amount of money because very organized, get my work done. And then I would go nanny for like four or five hours and like just take, collect the cash. And I would drop it off at the ATM every night. So I didn't spend it. So anyways, I interviewed to be this family's nanny while I was in culinary school. And when they found out I was going to be in culinary school, they're like, oh my God, we just lost our chef. Can you cook for us instead? And I was like, can I charge more money? And they're like, sure. And that's how I started. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced while cooking for that family? I mean, for that family, I wouldn't say it was a challenge, but it was like trial by fire because they had four kids, two parents. Everyone had a different dietary preference. They all ate at different times for the most part. One of them was a professional surfer. One of them was a teenage kid, like boy who like wanted to eat, you know, 500 pounds of food. So like I learned how to make, I was a short order cook. Like I learned how to put an extraordinary amount of food out in a very short amount of time under pressure. Nothing could face me. I would go over there on a Sunday thinking I was doing dinner for 10. And then they'd be like, by the way, 45 people are coming over for dinner. And I'm like, cool, no problem. I've got this. Did you find that the techniques you were learning in culinary school at that time, you were applying to making these meals for those families? And would you practice some of the stuff you learned on that family? Kind of, sort of. But like what we were learning in culinary school was like classic French cooking. And I have always been more of a Mediterranean style cook. So like all the fancy sauces and stuff we learned in culinary school, I wouldn't really replicate at work. But I did learn how to like properly roast vegetables and sear fish and grill steaks and that kind of stuff I did bring over with me to to the private chef world. You're a very confident person as is. Mm -hmm. Do you find that the culinary school gave you even more confidence and swagger in the kitchen? Yeah. Well, I think culinary school was helpful in giving me the the like building blocks to learn how to cook. But private chefing is where I really built my confidence because like I said earlier, if I was planning to cook for eight or 10 people and then all of a sudden 50 people were coming over and everyone's like, oh my God, this is so good. That's what boosts your confidence. You're cooking for all these fancy people in Malibu and celebrities who like have been to every restaurant in the world and dined with like five star, like Michelin star chefs, five star hotels, you name it, you know, and they're like, this is the best tri-tip I've ever had. That's what really builds your confidence, I think. Awesome. So you're going to culinary school. You're cooking for this family. Where does what's Gabby cooking come into play with all this? And how does that get going? Because you didn't apply for this job saying, hi, I'm what's Gabby cooking. You were Gabby Dalkin. Um, so what's Gabby cooking started the first week of culinary school and probably the first week of being a private chef. Like I started the blog as a way to document what I was making at work and what I was learning in school. And mostly it was just a place to brag to my friends that I had learned to eat fish and mushrooms. Like, cause, cause spoiler alert, if you didn't know, I was the pickiest eater growing up. The blog was just like really a place for me to document. It was a diary. It was an online diary. It was ugly. It was so ugly. <laughs> it was on this 
program called Blogspot, which guys, was Google Blogger. It was a black background with pink and green neon fonts. And the photos, honestly, my cat could take a better photo. You shot them with a, a Sony point and shoot. Oh, yeah. DSLRs weren't, I couldn't afford a DSLR. Yeah. Forget that. You didn't even know what a DSLR was. I didn't know what anything was photography wise until Matt came in. You into just my knew life. that your camera had four megapixels. <laughs> So bad, you guys. If you follow what's Thomas eating on Instagram, sometimes he drops up drops us a couple gems of the old school images from what's gotta be cooking when he's like cleaning out my site. You could tell she was trying to be artistic, but there was just no no vision there. <laughs> okay, so you decide to write a diary yep. for your adventures at culinary school. How did that shift into like developing recipes and creating your own recipes? And like, instead of writing about like what you were eating and what culinary school was teaching you, like coming up with recipes and kind of morphing into what it is today? Yeah. So I eventually left that family in Malibu. I got offered to be Jessica Simpson's private chef, which no one turns that job down. I was like, she was like, hello. My generation grew up watching her at Newlyweds. I was like, this is rad. You also listened to her on the radio. Did I? Her oh, shoes. Well, you mean her music. Yeah. 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 I actually got my first flat tire because of a pair of her shoes. Do you remember I told you that story once upon a time? No. There, I went to Dillard's and I really was obsessed oh, with these Jessica Simpson heels and I didn't buy them. And I went home and I just regretted it. Immediate regret. And so I went back and I ran over a curb trying to get there because I had to get to a tennis match to pick up my sister also and got a flat tire, but I got the shoes, but I had to call a tow truck. My dad was so pissed at me, but I still remember those shoes. They were so hot back in the day. And your sister's still waiting for you to pick her up at the tennis court. <laughs> That's no, no surprise to anyone, especially Anya. So basically when I started cooking for Jess, I didn't want to just like document everything I was making for her and put it on the blog for privacy things. First of all, like it wasn't like she didn't ask. She didn't. She never asked me to not take pictures of my food. But like I was so, you know, I was there for a longer amount of time. I was more invested in the surroundings of what was going on. We sat down and ate together more frequently. So I just didn't have time to shoot things there. So instead, I brought like a journal, like I brought a notepad and I would just start kind of creating recipes and writing them down. And then I would go home and if they needed perfecting, I would perfect them and shoot them at home. So you were testing your recipes on them. Mm -hmm. And then if it worked, it made it to the blog. Mm -hmm. So it was like recipe testing, which you still do today. Yeah. But you were probably one of the first bloggers that actually recipe tested your stuff, which is why every single recipe on your website works, right? Well, yeah. I mean, recipe testing is a huge part of it. I feel like we should get into that intense next week on modern day What's Gotta Be Cooking. But yeah, I mean, I started recipe test. That's something you learn in culinary school. Like you can't just whip out a recipe out of your head and expect it to work. Like you got to try it in multiple kitchens. You got to try it with different substitutions. So like that became ingrained in my brain. I remember my professor at culinary school just like drilled that into us. And it's, I still can hear her when I'm testing books. And the multiple like kitchens is an interesting thing too, because you would cook this in our 400 square foot apartment. Mm -hmm. And then you would probably go and cook in her Jess's house. Sub-Zero Wolf mm -hmm. Cove kitchen. Yeah. That was like- Cove didn't exist back then, but yeah. yes, Sub-Zero. And, and so to make it work in our electric burner and your- or her gas burner. Yeah, like, it was interesting. That's cool. So Jessica is a major boss. Yeah, she's a She's got boss. a huge empire 
um, with clothing. She crushed the, crushed the music industry. Being around that and working for her and seeing that firsthand, was that inspiring, motivating? Did it impact your vision of what you could do professionally? Working for Jessica was crazy inspirational. Not only is she just like the nicest person and actually so smart, like she knows her. This is what I really respect about Jess. The woman treats everyone at her company with such respect. They're all family. It's a very cohesive working environment. And she knows her brand to a T. She knows exactly what her audience wants. She knows how to give it to them. She knows what they're looking for, what kind of bodies they have, all these different things. And seeing her be so knowledgeable about that was super inspiring to me because I'm like, oh, wow, like those are all really important things to keep in mind when you're running a business. And just to watch it happen firsthand with her and her mom and Coco and all these people that are a part of her business sitting at the table next to me, we're all eating the same salad and talking about things was just like wild, wildly educational. Let's take a hot second and take a break from talking all things business and what's Scobby cooking to talk about Sonos, which is the most on brand. It's been an integral part of what's Scobby cooking for years. And when they approached me to work together recently, I was literally, I looked at Thomas and I was like, oh my God, this is literally the most on brand campaign ever. We'll get into on brand campaigns next week in the podcast. Stay tuned. It's going to get juicy. In case you don't know about Sonos, you obviously haven't listened to the last few podcasts, so go catch up. Um, It is the best sound system that you can piece together with multiple pieces, depending on what you need in your house. We've had it in our apartments and our condos and now in our house, and we buy like one to two pieces a year. And slowly but surely, Thomas is building up to his like dream sound system. A few pieces actually arrived this week, and Thomas and I normally like fight over who has to open the boxes because we get a decent amount of packages, especially during COVID. And when he saw it was a Sonos box, he like literally ran to the door, ripped them open and like filed them in his like man cabinet. So I wouldn't touch them. (laughs) He's just waiting to install them once the house is done. This summer though, has been all about the Sonos move, which is basically a portable speaker that you can take anywhere you want. Literally, we took it on a date the other day to the park because it has like a handle and you can pick it up and it's like a six pack. Like you can carry it with your beer and your speaker. Um, You can use it to stream music. You can listen to your favorite podcast, like hello, what's Gobby cooking in the wild. You can listen to your favorite playlist, like what's Thomas eating's playlist, hook it up to your TV, use it to watch the playoffs, all the possibilities. You can move it room to room, switch it to Bluetooth, take it to the beach, you name it. So if you have multiple Sonos speakers, you can hook them up to different zones in your house. And so that way, which is what we do, when I'm listening to something in the front of the house, Thomas can be listening to something in the back of the house. Ever since we started construction, it's been key because the crew can listen to whatever they want and they don't have to hear me like belt out Beyonce. Head to Sonos to learn more. You can always DM Thomas and he can help you piece it together. And now back to the podcast. All right, guys, let's pick it back up. Over to you, Thomas. Awesome. So you're now cooking for Jessica. You've got whatsgobbycooking.com slash blogspot or whatever it was. How did how did you come across the name or come up with the name What's Gobby Cooking? Honestly, I don't even remember. And why? I think my mom named it. I think my mom has done so much for me. Yeah. You got a good, you got a good uh, community. <laughs> really lucked out with her. I think we used to, she used to always say, what's Gabby cooking tonight? Yeah, I and think so too. It's stuck. 
I honestly, and if we started it today, I would probably think about it a little bit more, but I will say I'm thrilled that I incorporated my name into my branding because back then it was a lot of like blank kitchen, blank cooking, like a adjective or something like that. I'm glad we branded my name because it's been really helpful in building my brand. Yeah. Very forward thinking without it being forward thinking. Yeah. We definitely did not think about it back then. So you've got this blog now, Mm -hmm. you're a private chef. Mm -hmm. Was there an investment? Like what was the financial investment into What's Gobby Cooking to kind of get it off the ground? And to start What's Gobby Cooking, was there a financial investment? Almost nothing. I mean, I started it probably $9.99 to buy the domain, probably 100 bucks a year to host it or something like that um, on like Bluehost or whatever I used back in the day. GoDaddy to begin with. GoDaddy. There was overhead because I was paying for food so I could like make it for you and I and style But we were it. eating all that. Like right. Was- like we would have been paying for that anyways. The one thing I will say is we saved money because of you. Yes. So like because I, I was ne- designing the website and right. I never had to it. pay for a template or anything like that because Thomas could do it for me. Yeah, and that's where I was practicing my web design skills. Right. With uh, Gabby and her audience. Yeah, it's where his uh, CTO, Chief Technology Officer skills developed. Yeah. Back in two thousand. That, that was the foundation <laughs> building blocks. So you didn't really. There's been no investment in what's got to be cooking to this well, point. Well, no, that's, that's no, no. That. From like in terms of traditional, like for what Gabby, for what what's got to be cooking is today. There's been no like VC money or anything no. like that. Like you've built, you've truly are one of the few brands that have built this from scratch. Yeah, no, I took no money from any. I didn't ask for. I didn't want. I didn't want anyone else to own anything. Like I was very adamant about that. Not that a VC would have given me money back in 2009, right. 2010, but like. I'm not interested in giving up partial control of my company. And I've been involved with a lot of people who have brought VCs on. I've seen the process of it and it's not always pretty. Like, in fact, it can really be shitty sometimes. So yeah, like I never took on money. I haven't paid for any sort of marketing. You know, everything we've done to grow the business, Thomas and I have done with our own blood, sweat and tears. So no marketing, you don't pay for marketing. How do you how do you grow an audience? How did you grow an audience back then? Okay, so from like 2009 to th- 2010, 2011, I'm pretty sure nobody read the blog. Like it was me and my mom and you. And like maybe my dad checked in every once in a while. A couple readers here and there that stumbled upon it, but Yeah, but mostly it when when it started to pick up it was other bloggers. So back in the day in 2010, 2011, there were a lot of like little blogger pods. It was from relationships that I had built with people on Twitter and Facebook and all these blogging conferences that were a thing back then. You know, like photography workshop, which is actually how I met Matt back in the day. So it was it came from that support because a lot of bloggers back in the day would promote each other's content and we would all be like, let's all make recipes with carrots on this day. And then we'd all promote it with like carrot cake and carrot soup and carrot this and carrot that. Food Network, actually, we all wrote for Food Network and they did a lot of roundups and stuff like that. So it was all very organic. BuzzFeed occasionally would pick something up. Stumble Upon was huge. Oh my God. Where, yeah, Stumble Upon and Digger. Digger? Yeah. I did have something go viral on Reddit once. Yeah, Reddit, like those were where you saw a lot of uh, traffic come from. And then the other big ones, like, 
everyone would, that was back in the days when everyone would share content and articles on Facebook and Twitter, Mm -hmm. like legit share. Um, Fake news. Exactly. (laughs) And then I think the other thing, like you're saying to piggyback off of the other bloggers is it reminds me of like the MySpace top five friends. You guys had blog lists Mm -hmm. or blog rolls. And what a blog roll is, is where bloggers would create a page on their website and they would link to all their favorite bloggers. And so it was kind of a popularity contest, but it wasn't. And it made really discovery for good blog content really easily because every blogger had a blog roll. And so if you like Gabby, you could go see who Who she liked. And that thing kind of verified that, okay, this person has quality content. And those are all bloggers that I still, for the most part, keep in touch with. Yeah. Like they're actual friends. I consider them my coworkers. We've all grown up together. We all have the same growing pains. It's been very interesting to watch everyone grow and evolve in different ways. And we've all mostly gone different directions. Re is a powerhouse industry. I've gone a different She runs a town. (laughs) She owns a town. I've gone a different direction than say Maria or Jessica or any of these people that were and still are a part of my life. What would you say for majority? Do you think the majority of the bloggers that you associated with back in the day are still around and blogging? Mm, No, not all of them. How did the ones that are still around, we'll say survive or continue to make it and the ones that aren't there like what do you think the the reasons the main like Such reasons a are question husband i there's one there's one answer and it's all about being able to adapt if you couldn't adapt to snapchat your snapchat i mean you, instagram came I'm before snapchat yeah, well, yeah, yeah but like instagram happened everyone jumped on the instagram band, bandwagon but then if you didn't get on snapchat you really missed the boat there and then when instagram stories got invented if you weren't quick to jump there you know, you're going to get left behind. Insta Live, Reels, TikTok, all these different things. Like now I can be a little bit more choosy with where I spend my time. But back then you didn't really have that luxury. You had to adapt to whatever new platform came about because that's how you're going to grow your your audience and be discovered. So I would say the people that have made it have done a great job at evolving with technology. So would you say podcasts are one of those technologies that you... Yeah, I mean, the podcast is such a labor of love for me. I love doing this. I think it's so fun. Um, It would be so rad to do like live podcast broadcasts one day when like COVID's over. But for right now, I feel like this is such a cool way to reach a lot of people. Like the most, most of you that are listening are probably like out on a walk or driving to work or whatever it is. And I feel like this is a great way to keep in touch and to have a conversation while you're, you know, going for a hike or whatever it is. So back to building an audience, because that's for anybody who's ever said, I'm going to start a blog or start a social media profile or anything like that. That's the number one thing that causes you to make it or break it. If you had one piece of advice looking back in how many years has it been since you've been running What's Gobby Cooking? 11. In the 11 years, what's the one piece of advice you would give somebody when it comes to building an audience? Figure out what it is that you stand for and then hit it out of the park. So once I figured out what my voice was and who I was as a content creator, that's when things started to take off because then I think my audience can actually latch on and be like, oh, I this is approachable. This is attainable. Nothing about this is out, outrageous. You know, 
this is a bad example because we're in food, but like, let's use fashion for an example. If I'm someone, well, well, this is actually true, who wears like Lululemons and like t-shirts from wherever, that's a lot easier for me, Gabby, to relate to than to see someone who's wearing a $700 dress. I'm not going to follow that person. That person's not what I can't afford that. Like that's not in my realm. So it's the same thing with food. Like I want to make recipes. Does that make sense? Like I want to make recipes that are approachable, that people can put on the table, whether you're cooking for yourself, your partner, your family, your parents, whatever it is. Like I want it all to be attainable. So as soon as I figured out that and what my angle in for that realm was, that's when things went bigger. I agree with that 100%. I think from what I've witnessed with your growth, I think more importantly is consistency mm-hmm. in terms of constantly posting content that, or I shouldn't say constantly posting content because you don't want to put out content just to put it out, but you got to be consistent with what you're doing. So mm-hmm. like Abby said, when you have that voice or you're searching for that voice, be consistent and be patient. Everybody thinks that this happens overnight, but mm-hmm. it is slow growth. And you don't get into it looking to grow. You I know? mean, you don't it get just, into it to make money. Yeah, it just, that happens down the road. You get into it because you're doing something you love. So I think those kind of fall in, in line with each other. Let's get into the nitty gritty. Not now, but when you started What's Gobby Cooking, how many hours a week were you working and how much time were you putting towards the blog and building the brand that you saw at that time? Yeah, so when What's Gobby Cooking started, it was still a side hustle, right? So I would say I was private chefing for six-ish hours a day and for my other waking eight hours a day because, you know, I sleep a lot, you guys. I love sleep. Um, I was working on the blog. So whether that was taking pictures writing recipes, writing blog blog content, interacting with other people on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it was, you know, I was in it to win it. Like I was living what Scott be cooking. Like it it was everything I thought about. It's really interesting. When you started going to culinary school, you immersed yourself into the entire food world, whether it was you were teaching yourself how to cook. You were, your job that was paying you was cooking for a family. On the side, you were writing about food. You were photographing food. You were going to restaurants. We tried so many new restaurants when you started cooking. We were going to farmer's markets. Like You just immersed yourself in food in every single possible way. I read way. a lot of books, too. Yeah. It was, that was really interesting. Have the hours that you've worked from then to now like steadily increased? <laughs> and like what, what does that look like? Is it... Yeah. Is it I mean, today I wake up at 6.30 in the morning and I'm working by seven. And here's the thing. When you work for yourself, if you're not working, you're missing out on opportunities. Not necessarily money, but like I I miss doing cool things because I'm whatever it is like you you just want to put as much time and effort into it when you're working for yourself because this is your business. No one else is keeping the lights on while you're not working. So now I would say, I mean, since Thomas came on full time, I would say we both probably work like 65, 70 hours a week. And that includes weekends. Like we never take a full weekend off. If like, like last weekend, it was 175 billion degrees in Los Angeles. Yes, we were in the pool for two to three hours, but we were also shooting photos. We were, Thomas was editing the fertility video. Like there was so much we also had to do. And weekends are kind of a quiet time as far as there are no meetings. So like that's when the majority of content creation can happen 
It's documenting your life, really. Yeah, which is so cool that that's part of my job. And like we've we've been on vacation in Morocco riding camels and I was negotiating a book deal on a camel. like, And, and capturing content to then share. So right. it's like, it's just, it's always on. And the great part is because we love doing this. Never feels like it work. It doesn't feel like work. Right. I mean, it, the don't, don't twist that for it's easy and we're not working <laughs> because it's actually very challenging, but we love what we do. Yeah. And I think we've also surrounded ourselves and taught, like we travel a lot with my parents. They know that like there are times when I'm at dinner where I just have to be texting with my literary agent because we're negotiating a deal or my editor needs something for me for a book or we have a surprise project coming out next year that like requires so much more time. Like they get it. Our family and friends understand that. And I think they've, you know, they're accepting of our crazy schedules. So we jumped ahead a bit there. Let's jump back into the building blocks of what's got you cooking. Those blog roles and guest blog posts and everyone that you would share links to, are you really friends with them? Do you guys get along? Like, what is what is that like? Am I friends with those people in real life? Yes. I would say that go, and we can talk about this more next week, but as far as who I'm promoting, what brands I'm promoting, who I'm doing Insta Lives with, yeah, those are my friends. Like, I have met some, like Matt, one of my very best friends and like, my second husband, when Thomas gets sick of me, <laughs> I met through blogging. Um, Jamie from Ann Street Studio, we met on a tour, like through South America. Courtney from Currently, we met on a whim in Dallas one day, and I absolutely love her. Like, I feel like I've met some of the most incredible people through my job. And yes, I would never, ever promote someone on my Instagram, on my podcast, on my blog for cookbook club that I didn't actually, that I wasn't a fan of in real life and that I knew was an incredible person. Awesome. Content planning. Mm -hmm. Let's jump into that world quickly. Okay. So in the early days and even now, like what goes in, let's just do the early days. What went into like creating a piece of content? How'd you come up with new recipes and new content to give to the blog? And like what really started to catch your audience's eye, you know? Yeah. I mean, when I dialed in what the California girl was and like, how was all this attainable California Mediterranean inspired food that was easy enough to put on the table, not too complicated, fresh flavors. That's when recipes started to really pick up and I was really testing them. But that was like four years, three years into the blog. Yeah. So it took three years to establish your voice. Absolutely. I mean, my voice was shit in the beginning. I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. And I would jump all over the place. I wouldn't write complete sentences. It was bad. (laughs) But until I figured that out, when I figured that out, that's when things took off. Because that's, like I said earlier, when people could like grasp on and be like, oh, this, I get this. Like I can relate to this, you know? Do you remember your first piece of paid content? I remember my first sponsor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My first sponsored post was a frozen French fry company. And they had offered me $250 for four blog posts. And I was so jazzed. I was like, oh my God, that's part rent. This is amazing. My parents are going to be so proud of me. I've made it. And now looking back at that, I shouldn't have taken it. Like if I'm going to teach you guys how to make French fries, I'm going to teach you how to make French fries. Not that there's anything wrong with frozen French fries, because honestly, I'd buy them from time to time. But I, if I'm like, I just want to teach you how how to make them, like how to properly season them, how to cut them, how to fry them, how to bake them, whatever it is, like, that's what I would do. So that was a learning lesson for me in 
and we can talk about this a lot more in depth next week because I have so much to say on the sponsor post front. Um, it was a lesson to me in learning to work with brands that were really true to what's got be cooking and the ethos that we've created. How did you get that first gig though? Like were you, was your audience starting to grow? Um, did they reach out to you directly? Like what were the, what were like the key like milestones that you think? Yeah. I mean, I had a couple thousand followers on Twitter. They reached out to me directly via Twitter. Okay. I did not have a manager at the time. I negotiated the contract and everything on my own. But I think, you know, that brands back at brands are always on the lookout for people to create content around their products. So I think they saw an opportunity in me and they liked what I stood for, which honestly, I can't fault them for. Like we had a cool thing going for them and still do. But I it's up to me. And like I said, we'll talk about this next week. It's up to me to really stay true to brands that I want to work with and that I feel great promoting. One of the things that I think you pride yourself on is your content calendar (laughs) and how far out that's planned. Have you always been a planner and planning out content and how far out do you know what you're going to post? I mean, I don't remember exactly what I did 10 years ago, but when I started working with Matt and Adam, yes, I started planning my content four to six weeks out ahead of time because that's how far out we shoot. Like we're in what September we're about to shoot Thanksgiving. So I know what Thanksgiving and the month of November is going to look like pretty much already. It's important to always be nimble. So like if someone comes to me and is like, hey, can you do a post for avocados or something? We want to do this cool giveaway or we have a new all clad pot that we want to slot in. It's important to be able to accommodate that. But for the most part, I know what my editorial calendar editorial is things that are not paid for just, you know, natural content. I know what that is far in advance, at least at least one to two months. At what point, and I think this will be a good segue to end on and mm-hmm. lead us into the next week. Okay. At what point did you see, oh, what's Gobby cooking can be something and version of what it is today? Does that make sense? At what point did you feel like, oh, this is actually something legit? Like in terms of a brand, a business, like being able to survive and thrive off of it? Do you know the answer to this? I don't. That's why I'm asking you. Like, was there ever a moment or a point where you're like, oh, this could actually be something full time and not a hobby? I mean, when I left private chefing entirely to go full time with What's Gobby Cooking, I think that was in 2012. It was before my first cookbook came out. And I was making enough money off of sponsored content and ads and uh, some video work I was doing to equal my private chef salary financially was when I knew I could, I, this could be a thing. I also knew if it didn't work, I was very employable and could go back to private chefing or get a job in some sort of food media, man. It's been such a slow roll though. I don't know when the turning point was where I'm, I, I, still, I don't know if there is a turning point. I don't think there is. And I honestly, I think there's still so much room for improvement and growth for what's got cooking. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that we've made it like, you know, yes, we can pay our bills and yes, you've been able to come on full time and you have a salary now as well. But I still think there's so much for us to do. Everybody I talk to, I'm like, oh, Gabby's just at the end of the runway getting ready to take off. 
And I've been using that analogy probably like <laughs> for eight years now because it just feels like we're just getting ready to take off. So it's like, this is like the longest flight ever. Well, and there's no end in sight. Yeah, like exactly. It's cool. Being in the digital space, there is no end in sight. Like what I do for a job and what you do for a job didn't exist 10 years ago. So I don't know if there's a point where I feel like I've made it. There are definitely milestones. Like when my second and third books came out, those were big because we'll get into books next week, but those were things that I had like full creative control on. When my line with William Sonoma launched, that was a huge mark marker for me. How many p people you employ? Yeah. Yeah. How many people are on the What's Gobby Cooking team? There are definitely things that I'm like, wow, I can't believe we made it here, but I still have so much to do. Looking back or knowing where it is now, looking back, would you have ever thought it would be what it is today? Like from at the beginning? Um, when you wrote that first blog post? No, no, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. Like I didn't think we'd ever get, I mean, I didn't want to be in the food world. I didn't know I wanted to be in the food world. Yeah. I just was doing this for fun because I loved cooking for people. But I also know myself and that I am a go-getter and I don't like when people tell me no. And if, if something is hard, I will work harder at it to make it work for me. So it was a good thing that you never made it on to the next food network the star. Next food network star. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Guy Fieri's thriving. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm very pleased with where Wet Scobby is currently, where we've been, where we're heading. Like there's so many cool things that are going to come out next year and in 2022 that I can't tell you guys about yet. I feel really good about the decisions we've made thus far. Awesome. All right, guys, that's a wrap for today's podcast. I will see you back here with Thomas next week. All right, that's it for today's Web Scobby Cooking in the Wild. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays. And if you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatsgobbycooking.com. See you guys very soon.